Thank you, Katie, for that brief and succinct <laughs> scripture reading this morning. I appreciate it. In defense to me, it's hard to say, like, just read, like, the first four commandments and then cut it off. It doesn't really work that way. Hey, everybody, good morning. I'm so glad that you're here with us in person, that you're with us online. To those of you who are still eating beignets on Fifth Street and trying to brush off powdered sugar, I look forward to seeing you when you're finished. I'm so thankful that y'all have joined us for worship today. Uh, before we start, a couple quick words of acknowledgement. One, I want to let you know why everything looks so different back here. We actually have a hymn festival that's taking place at the church this afternoon at three o'clock. We did one last year, and it was a huge crowd. People came from all over. It was really great. So if that's your bag, uh, make sure to check it out. Another thing to make sure to check out, this is an interesting factoid. What's the most viral video that's ever come out of the First United Methodist Church of Fort Worth? Is it any of the sermons that Lance has given over 10 years? No. <laughs> is it any of the world-renowned speakers that we've had come speak here? No. The number one viral video that has ever come out of this church is a video from two years ago when our uh, music director, Thomas Williams, played a handbell solo. And it was so funny because I was a part of Thomas's interview process. And if y'all don't know Thomas, he's the music director of the choir and the orchestra. And so much, so much, so much talent. And he has the most modest resume ever. And his resume was, you know, good at this, good at this, good at this. He's much better than good at those things. But on the bottom of his resume, he put exceptional handbell player. <laughs> And I was like, we'll see about that. And we did. <laughs> so whenever Thomas does a handbell solo, the internet servers melt down. So if that's your jam, if you don't believe me, come check it out. He's going to be doing another solo this Sunday. What a weird thing to be excited about. I can't wait for the handbell solo. That's when you know you are a churchy guy. Uh, again, I want to add my gratitude to all the people who are a part of Rise Against Hunger and serving. Uh, many of you have already served a shift. A number of you have shifts coming up. This church is serving and packing up meals for 14,000 people today as a community, as a chance to give back. It's an easy way to serve here on the campus alongside your church family. One of the many things that we do here just to make sure that we're a church that's continually focused not on ourselves, but on the people who are most desperately in need of support and connection with the people who love them. So, that being said, uh, I want to ask just real quickly, this is, this is going to be participation, quick show of hands. How many of you have ever been preparing for a day of work or school and you thought you knew how the day was going to go and then you showed up and the day was totally different? Anybody ever had that happen? Okay, anybody ever happen? Awesome. Anybody ever had that happen with their sermon? Okay smaller group. Um, so for those of you who aren't familiar, I'm the, the, the regular preacher here at the church, and my style is one that's a little bit more casual. Uh, don't regularly use notes or things along those lines, but the process of preparing a message takes all week long, and I do a lot of study, particularly studying uh, things like commentaries and exegetical texts that help you kind of pull more meaning and context than you might realize out of the text. Read how other preachers and teachers have dealt with the text. Do a lot of praying over it. Uh, and a lot of try to work together over the course of the week. It takes a lot of work to make it look like you're making it up on the spot. <laughs> Thought that was going to get a laugh. Um, and so I was prepared for that this week, and that's what happened. And then my Saturday, my yesterday, was devoted uh, to... Uh, Two main activities. One was youth soccer, where I continue to coach the worst under six-year-old team you have ever seen in your life. I, I think the owner is going to get me fired. We are really bad, and I'm trying so hard. 
uh, and then going and watching another child's soccer game. So I did that while having just the maximum appropriate amount of Texas OU football in my ear at the same time. And so that's what I was focused on most of the day. And it wasn't until the afternoon that I watched the news. And for those of you who aren't aware, big news came out yesterday from Israel and from Palestine. Uh, leading news all around the world came out. And I'm not qualified to say exactly what happened. All I know is what I've seen on the news. But basically, uh, people, led, people who are part of Hamas, which is an organization that is a political and military organization inside Palestine, launched a surprise attack in southern Israel. It included rockets. It included um, people with guns. It included kidnappings and all those kind of things. And then Israel is now in the process of responding. And this is all right up in the air, right? And it's all happening. And it, it's really upsetting to me. It's really upsetting to me for a number of reasons. I think one of the reasons that it's really upsetting is that I think we're all beginning to get a new vision into what actual violence looks like in the world of social media, in the world of cameras everywhere. We, we now know what it looks like for a residential building to fall down. We've now seen what it looks like for people riding in the back of pickup trucks and AK-47s to roll into a neighborhood. We've seen what it looks like for families to be herded together, and I'll just, I'll let the story in there. We, we see that now in a way that was maybe harder to see in previous eras if it wasn't happening right in front of you. That visceral experience of what violence looks like is so much easier for us to encounter nowadays. Um, two, this is really upsetting to me because the Holy Land means so much to me. This is the land where I believe Moses and the people of Israel literally walked. This is the land that I believe in which Jesus literally walked. This is the land in which the apostles walked. This is the land in which the story of our life and our faith originated. This is our land too in that way. And so to see the most sacred places on the world be so profaned by things like violence is, is really personally upsetting. For those of you who don't know, we have a group of 50 people from our church who are signed up to go to Israel in uh, January. Um, and for those of you who are part of that trip and asking what's going on with the trip, the answer is, I don't know. Uh, if it's safe, we can go. If it's not safe, we can't. That's why we work with professionals for whom this is not their first rodeo who can help us navigate it. Um, and one of the reasons that it's also so upsetting to me is I just don't understand. Can I just be humble and say I just don't understand? I've actually spent time trying to, to research and better understand those conflicts that have been active in, at least in my adult life, but of course so much longer than that. You know, our current political environment just within our country is so complicated and so div uh, um, divisive. And people who are studying it will go, you know, well, this all traces back to things that happened almost 70 years ago. And then you try to study conflicts in the, the Middle East, and they'll say, you know, these things really changed when iron was invented. You know, it's just so much more complicated. It's, I just don't understand. And one of the last things that's really upsetting to me is that these things are happening um, amongst a people who have a faith in the same God that I do. And these are different religions, they have different perspectives, they have different creeds, they have different teachings, but all of us understand to be, ourselves to be praying to the same God. And so um, what happens a lot of time in situations like this is I'll, I'll pivot, I'll pivot and a new lesson will come to mind or something else that we need to talk about. 
And uh, what happened today instead um, is that I've been just praying. I've just been just praying for peace. I've been, just, I've been praying for these families on either side of man-made borders. I'm just praying for children. I'm praying for vulnerable people. I'm praying for people who need medicine. I'm praying for people who are just trying to heal wounded. I'm just praying for people who have access to weapons to find a better way. I'm just praying for them. And the thing that really upsets me is that I know that while I'm praying to my God for those things, I know there are also people that are praying to the same God for victory. I know that that's just the case. And there was another article that I read this morning um, when I woke up, and it was an article about the continued decline of religious participation around the world, not just in Western Europe or the United States, but in a lot of places, a decline in religious participation around the world. And uh, that made me think about who my audience was today. The message that I have today is not to the government of Israel. <laughs> I don't think they're watching. Um, it's not to the government of Hamas, uh, the people who lead Hamas. It's not even to Christians in Tarrant County. Uh, the people I'm thinking about today are the non-Christian people, the non-Jewish people, the non-Muslim people, the non-religious people of the world, the people who just don't see a role that faith has in life. Because in the great amount of reading that I've done about the people who just identify as no faith, just agnostic, atheist, just none, you know, very, typic very atypically, the people who, who have that perspective on life say, well, I just don't believe those things are possible. Very few atheists or agnostics will actually say things like, well, I don't believe that a resurrection is possible. I don't believe that miracles are possible. Um, I don't believe that divine revelation is um, impossible. What comes out much more regularly is they'll say, I just don't see that it's relevant. And the number one evidence that I see for its irrelevance is the behavior of religious people. And that's what I've been thinking about today. And so uh, I come to our message today with, with two really um, significant questions. One is, is a God whose people act like this worth worshiping? And the second question is, is are people worth saving? Is a God whose people kill each other, murder each other, profane each other, hurt each other, exclude each other, damage each other, rob from each other, steal from each other, fail to take care of each other. Uh, is a God whose people do that worth worshiping? And then the corollary to that is, are people worth saving? Because I think that's the question that we have to keep in mind when we're talking to the people of no faith. Those, those are the questions they're asking. And so it's in that context that I want to talk about the scripture reading that we have today, because this was the scripture reading that was planned for today. And if you're not familiar with it, let me give you a little bit of context. So a few thousand years ago, the people of Israel were living in captivity in Egypt, and they had grown and multiplied in number. Their slave labor was used to enrich Pharaoh and a bunch of other people. And then one day, Charlton Heston stood up and said, enough. <laughs> See, I had to bring the room back up a little bit. God communicated through God's prophet Moses and said, I've heard your cries. I haven't forgotten about you. You're still my chosen people. Through you, I will still do the redemption work of the entire world. Through your people, I will begin the saving work that is for all people everywhere, and you people are still a part of my plan. So they're brought out of slavery in Egypt. They go through the Reed Sea. Pharaoh's army is overcome by God's power. They go up to Mount Sinai, which is also called Mount Horeb in this text, and communicating to God... Uh, Moses receives the Decalogue, is the fancy church word. It just means the Ten Commandments. And Moses shares it with God's people, the people of Israel. 
And, you know, it's so easy for us to think about things like uh, the Ten Commandments as just rules, that if you break them, you're in trouble. Because that's how we think about rules. But can I invite you instead to think about the Decalogue that's being laid out here as a guide of this is what our people are like. This is what we're like. This is who we are. These are our values. These are the things that you need to understand if you're going to live in relationship with me. So, for example, um, was anybody here raised in a yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am house? Were any of y'all ever raised in that kind of house? Yeah, a lot here. Um, why were we raised that way? We were raised that way, in order, and that's me calling, by the way. I've got... <laughs> we were raised that way because it was a value, right? It was a value in our household. It was in order for us to signal what was really important to us, what really mattered to us, what was really key to us. We were raised in a yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir house because it was not only about politeness, it was not only about connection, but it was also about community, Right? And you realize the difference if you ever go to a, a place that is non, what's what I'm trying to say? If you go to somewhere that's not a yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am place, and you start dropping ma'ams around. Have you ever done that? Does it go well? It does not. I remember my first, uh, right out of college I got a job when I was uh, 22 years old, and I was working in a big corporate environment, and one of my jobs involved uh, taking Excel spreadsheets, printing them out, carrying them in my hand, and dropping them over to someone else's desk and putting the Excel spreadsheet on their desk. Real high-level work. <laughs> and then it would get marked up, and it would come back to me. And I would say all the time to the person with whom I was speaking, she was a lot older. She was like 34. <laughs> and I would say all the time, thank you, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. And she kind of like, I was eventually like, don't call me ma'am. And I was like, yes, ma'am. And she was like, which is dumbest joke. Don't laugh at that. And, but I couldn't. I, I couldn't not. I mean, and she was like, don't call me ma'am. And I was like, I'm trying not to. It just is because I have been so shaped by this. It is such a value that's been placed into me by the community in which I was raised because it, I wasn't just at a yes ma'am, no ma'am house. I was in a yes ma'am, no ma'am neighborhood. And I had yes ma'am, no ma'am friends, right? So I'm mammon all over the place. I'm yes sir, no sir to everybody. That's the community in which I've been raised. Those are the values that we have. And if you take me out of that community and put me somewhere else, that's still who I am. The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, is God beginning to reveal to God's people, this is who we are going to be together. You're going to have no other gods before me. I'm not going to be your ace in the hole. I'm not going to be your second option if these other gods for wind or for rain or fertility don't work out. I am your only God. And you're not going to reduce me to handmade things like idols or figurines because that's not able to capture the amazing power of who I actually am. You're going to treat each other with respect. You're not going to covet the things that other people have. Including that respect will be your elders, not to be discarded, to be cared for, and to be honored. You're not going to harm each other's bodies. You're not going to take each other's things. And above all, every once in a while, you're going to sit around and do nothing, not just because a nap is good for you, because it's in the midst of that non-productivity that you will realize you do not make the earth turn. But I do. 
They're not just laws that you need to worry about breaking so that you don't get in trouble. It's the instilling of values. This is who we are. This is who we are to be together. And it's a long journey, and there is so much yet to come because these people are brand new. They're brand new to this. And they fail over and over and over again because they're brand new to this. And 40 years later, it's come time for them to stop their wandering in the desert and enter the promised land to which God has led them. And their leader, Moses, stands up and he recalls the story to them of all the ways in which God has been faithful and all the ways in which God has showed up and all the ways in which God has kept God's promises to them even when they have fallen short. He tells this long story and he repeats the Decalogue to them. They failed so much to keep these commandments. They failed so much to be shaped by these commitments. They failed so much to actually become the people of these values, but God hasn't given up on them. And Moses says to them, this happened 40 years ago on a mountain. Most of us who are hearing me right now weren't alive then. But God made that covenant with us. Not just the people who were on the side of that mountain that day. God made that promise to us. And we today must choose to make it back. It's not just a thing that happened one time for them. It's a thing that happens every day in our hearts. So recommit yourself to it. And in order to help it sink in, he shared this additional piece. It's in Deuteronomy 6, and it's easy to actually hear today's text and think that that's the most important thing that's in the Scripture reading today. What really sticks out to me is the greatest commandment that's listed out in Deuteronomy 6. I'm actually going to read it. didn't plan to. If you find it on the screens, that's very helpful. If you don't, that's fine. This is the commandment, the statutes and ordinances that the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land that you're about to cross and to occupy for the purposes that you and your children and your children's children may fear, which also means honor and respect the Lord your God all the days of your life. And then I'm going to step forward to verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's a prayer that's called the Shema. I'm going to come back to that in just one second. That's a prayer that has a name. It's called the Shema. And then Moses says this, Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you're at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So these rules communicate the values and the purposes of relationship with God. And then here's a practice I'm giving you, Moses says. Say these words over and over and over again. Literally write these words on pieces of paper and wrap them around your wrist and wrap them around your forehead. If you've ever seen people pray with tefillin and tzitzit, that's what that is. Those actual scriptures written down and placed on their bodies. Put them on your doorposts. My college roommate, my freshman year, was a good friend of mine who's Jewish. And I walk into our room one day, and what's he doing? He's nailing mezuzah to the side of our dorm. Have you all ever seen mezuzah before? It's these scriptures, these little scrolls written up and on the side of the doorpost. I think my friend, to be honest with you, is super Jewish like two days a year. (laughs) But even someone who's culturally much more Jewish than he is religious moves into a new place, and what's the first thing he does? 
Mark it as sacred in the name of the Lord. Do this over and over and over again so that it sinks in. Do this over and over and over again so that it shapes you. Do this over and over and over again so that it forms you. Say yes, ma'am. Say no, ma'am. Say yes, sir. Say no, sir. Over and over and over again so that it forms those values deep inside of you and changes who you are. Do this recitation, do this practice, so that it moves you from just someone who's heard a bunch of rules into someone who is actually changed into the person God is trying to have you be. That prayer is called the Shema. Jesus of Nazareth, faithful Jewish man, prayed that prayer every single day when he arose. Prayed that prayer every single day when he went to bed. Prayed that prayer with his disciples every single day that they were together. Prayed that prayer with his disciples every single night when they made camp. To practice and to form and to transform their hearts. One of the reasons I think it's so easy for people who profess no religion to find it irrelevant or uh, inactive in the lives of themselves or others it's because they've come to believe that religion is just about what you believe. That it's just about what you believe. That your faith is just about the tenets and the doctrines of what you assert to be true. And that's not what religion is about. That's not religion has ever been about. Religion is not about what you believe. It's about who you become. It's not about what you believe. It's about who you become. The Ten Commandments and the Decalogue are given to us so that we can become that kind of people. The practice of the Shema is delivered so that we can become that kind of people. We have formation and values, and we have a way for it to actually sink in. As I was praying this morning, and just sad and upset and honestly scared because now I don't have a sermon, what came to my mind were two pieces of Scripture from Jesus, two pieces of Jesus is saying. Jesus who knew the, the Hebrew Bible front and back, right? Jesus who was a deeply faithful Jewish man. Jesus who knew everything about what it is that God commands of us because he kind of has a little bit of inside knowledge. The first thing that came to mind was what's said in Matthew 13. Jesus takes that Shema. He takes that recitation. He takes that prayer, and he takes that practice, and he expands on it. I'm sorry, is it Matthew 22? Did I say the wrong one? Yep, sorry. There's a lot of Bible, guys. Someone asks him a question, and they're trying to challenge him. They're trying to undermine him. They're trying to make people no longer follow him or believe him. And the, the people of Israel have expanded through the prophets to now having hundreds of commandments. And so trying to trick him up, they say, well, what's the most important one? And Jesus leads back to the Shema that we just read. One of them, an expert in the law, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Trying to get him profane God. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And then he says, which is something they already knew, and then he adds to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. These words that come to us from God through Moses, that come to us 
through God in Christ Jesus is the continued shaping and forming of God's people. Part of my question is, are people worth saving? All I know is that God keeps trying. Are people worth saving? All I know is God keeps trying. God keeps showing up. God keeps providing. God keeps showing the way. God keeps forgiving. God keeps healing. God keeps restoring. God keeps making new. Is a God worth worshiping whose people treat each other like this? All I know is God has told us over and over again what is good and given us the freedom to reject it if we choose. And the next question is, are people worth saving? And all I know is God keeps trying. So what commandments really matter? We have a Decalogue. We have hundreds of more. We have so much disunity in the Christian communities over what matters the most, right? But religion is not about what you believe. It's about who you become. The values that Jesus lines out for us, God's purpose for you is that you be the kind of person that loves God with all of your heart and all of your strength and all of your mind. That's God's purpose for you. And also, God wants you to love your neighbor as yourself, your neighbor who's scared you, your neighbor who's upset you, your neighbor who has wronged you, your neighbor who's frustrated you, your neighbor who has parked their unmarked boxcar in front of your house for like four months. That's a hypothetical. Your neighbor who's different than you, who believes differently than you. And then Jesus gave us words to help that sink in. Just like the Shema was given for the purposes of recitation so that it could actually change our lives, so that it could move from what we believe into what we are becoming, Jesus gave us the same thing. He gave us words that we could say over and over and over again to help actually drill into our hearts and transform not only how we see ourselves, not only how we see God, not only how we see the people that we love, but the entire world so that we could slowly be transformed through the powerful grace of God into the kind of people that God would have us be. And you know how important it is because so often when people ask Jesus a question, he doesn't give them a straight answer. He gives them a side answer or he asks them another question. Jesus is always doing that, except when his disciples ask, how do we pray? How do we pray? Knowing that prayer is not just talking to God, but prayer is a vehicle through which the power and grace of God is actively changing our lives. How do we do that? For what purpose and to what end? And Jesus doesn't give them a riddle. He doesn't give them something interesting to think about. He doesn't give them some deep theological reflection. He says, when you pray, pray like this. In Matthew 6, when you pray, pray like this. Y'all know the prayer, so it's not like I've really got a big secret here. Tell you what, let's do it together. Would you pray with me? Great and loving God, great are you and greatly to be praised. Lord, today our hearts ache for your people everywhere who are experiencing violence and fear. God, we pray for children scared and crying. We pray for adults worried about protecting what they've spent their entire lives building, worrying about providing for those who depend on them the most. Lord, we pray for the elderly who might feel incapable of taking care of themselves or others. Lord, we pray for those who need medicine. We pray for those who provide it. 
We pray for those who need food and those trying to get it to them. We pray for everyone everywhere trying to be safe in their own home. God, when we see no way, when we see a horrible story replaying itself over and over and over again, it's so easy for us to ask, are we even worth saving? And over and over again, you show us that you're still doing it. So, Lord, we give you thanks in your Son, Christ Jesus, your ultimate work of salvation, not just for us, but for all people everywhere, so that we can move from being trapped in this understanding that our faith is just about the tenets in which we believe, and we can focus on instead becoming the people that you would have us be, people that love you with all of our heart and all of our strength and all of our mind and love our neighbors just like we love for ourselves in order to shape us, turn us, and transform us bit by bit, day by day. Help us follow in the steps of your son Jesus, who when we asked him how to pray, he told us exactly what to say. And so together we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.